Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Each weekday at noon, you'll find me here on 90.3 FM or WPLN.org. This is Nashville is our brand new daily show here at WPLN News. We'll go deeper on the news of the day and bring you perspectives you didn't know you were missing. Join us as we journey into the identity of our city and region. For nearly two weeks, Ukraine has been under attack from Russian forces. The Ukrainian people have sheltered from bombardment, fled to neighboring countries, and fought back. Across the West, there's been an outpouring of support for the people of Ukraine. Joining me now to talk about what support that looks like in Nashville, in the Nashville area, is Catherine Rickmeyer, reporter for the Nashville scene. Hey, Catherine, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about this important topic. Really appreciate you being here. So, you know, in February, you visited Alexi's Market in Berry Hill and you wrote about it for the Nashville scene. What led you to Alexi's? Um, so, uh, like all reporters, we're always scanning different news sources. And one of the best places to find really organic content to see what people are talking about is Nextdoor. Um, I actually had somebody tell me that people were talking about this Ukrainian market um, in Berry Hill. And this somebody told me this on a Sunday. Um, and I was like, oh, man, I need to check this out. So I looked it up. And Monday morning, I came in went to my editor and I was like, Hey, I just feel like this is going to be a really big story. I'm going to go and see what it's about. Um, especially on a personal note, I feel like all of us want to feel a little bit like our hands are tied and we can't help out. So I was like, well, you know, if nothing else, I'm going to go there and buy some goods from this Ukrainian owned market. Um, ended up going Monday morning when I got there, there was a pretty sizable line. There's also three other uh, news stations there who had also picked it up from next door. Mm. Um, and I, you know, it, that's what kind of brought me there is to see like what was going on. And just like they had said on next door, you saw all these people who were clearly not regulars there. Um, there was actually a man, uh, one of the customers there shopping, he was in a UT t-shirt and Crocs. And I was like, this man is not a regular. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I went up and, you know, talked to him while I was waiting to get to the front of the line to hopefully talk to the owners. And I just said, you know, what brought you here? And he did say the next door post and he had a whole basket full of, uh, goodies. And I was like, so how did you know what to buy? And he was like, I honestly have no idea what I'm buying. Hmm. He's like, I just asked them for Ukrainian stuff. Um, cause they sell all different kinds of, uh, Eastern European goods over there. Um, and so in that moment prior to like talking, I like realized I was like, wow, people really just want to help. And, you know, whether that's buying, you know, a $5 box of chocolates or some tea biscuits, people want to feel like they can do something. Now, if you've watched The Predators last night, you may have heard our next guest. That was Diana Nali Vaiko singing the Ukrainian national anthem. Diana is a Vanderbilt student whose entire family is in Ukraine right now. 
She joins us now. Diana, welcome to This is Nashville. Hello. Hello. So glad to be here with you. Really happy to have you here with us. And that was truly, truly beautiful. Would you mind just kind of explaining the meaning of the Ukrainian anthem? Uh, so I would say the Ukrainian national anthem is an important part of just any country. I would say like uh, Ukraine, like anthem is just an important part. And uh if we translate a couple of words from Ukrainian anthem, there is one phrase that means we will give up our souls and our flesh for the freedom. And I think just this exactly phrase can explain everything about Ukrainian spirits because we were raised to um, to go and protect our rights and to speak up because we don't want to be slaves. Ukraine has uh, has suffered from a lot of terrible events and uh, it was uh, it it experienced a lot a lot of tensions with Russia, not like only now but also during the centuries. Mm -hmm. So our national anthem means a lot to all of the Ukrainians. Now, as I mentioned, your family is in Ukraine. I can really yes. only imagine how stressful the past few weeks have been for you. How have you been feeling? It's been very tough for me just thinking that I am somewhere so far away from a country and millions, like 40 millions, all people in Ukraine are just suffering here uh, in Ukraine. And I just, it just was heartbreaking for me to watch uh, the news reports and uh, receiving texts from my family, from my friends, with uh, some videos or photos of how destroyed the cities are, and just reading the stories about such powerful people who are helping Ukraine and who are who have maybe lost their homes and or lost their family, and it just is just so terrible for me to read all of that and uh, know that I am somewhere far away here in safety and I have everything I need. Uh, just yesterday, uh, I read a report from our president and he told that a child died in Mariupol city because of dehydration. And I just thought it's, it's, it's so terrible that I have everything I have and these people do not. And what are the ways that I can help? Mm. Yeah. And, it just has been a really huge struggle for me. Uh, two questions for you. Is this the first time you've been away, this far away from your family? Y yes, I would say that far and for that long time, yes. Wow. And, you know, you, I'm just, I just wonder, you know, when you're so far away from your family and the people that you love and you're seeing this happen, you know, you obviously are going to be inspired to try to do something. You just mentioned what can you do to help them, seeing that you have everything that you need and that they're struggling and suffering. You've organized rallies here in Nashville. What drove you to do that? Uh, again, I needed to do something. I needed to protect my country like people in my country do. So I had to use the information power I had to speak up. I had to use my voice to tell people about what is happening right now in Ukraine. I had to draw the attention to 
uh, Ukraine of people from America so that they know that we actually need everybody's help. And everybody's help matters because this is a huge, serious problem. It's not just about Ukraine or Russia or politics. It's about the whole world. It's about people who are dying. It's about justice and democracy. And if the whole world does not stand up, I think like something is terrible may happen in our world because if we're not going in the right direction as United Nations are trying to um, to promote the values of democracy, of gender equality, of uh, respecting all people. And just if we have people dying in one country because of the huge invasion like Russia, it's it means that we're not like the humanity does not move in the right direction and we need to change this direction. Now, have you been all of us? Ha- have you been? I agree with you. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I love everything you just said. I want to ask you about like the, the Ukrainian community here in Nashville. Have you been able to meet other Ukrainians here? Yes. Uh, you know, I've been trying to reach out to them once I arrived here to Nashville, but um, I didn't know any people from Ukraine here, any. I just found a couple of uh, Ukrainian students here at Vanderbilt, and these were just the people that I knew who were from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. But when we organized the first ever rally, it was on Friday, February uh, 25, uh, the second day of the war. We all gathered together in Tennessee State, near the Tennessee State Capitol, and uh, I met a lot of Ukrainians here, and I just didn't know that in this city, in Nashville, so far away from Ukraine, and not even in New York State, where all the Ukrainian communities mostly concentrate, concentrated. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of wonderful people who are from Ukraine, and they have their families, and they work here, or they work at Vanderbilt, or they are Vanderbilt students, or just, just I don't know, different Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing that... I found that support at this difficult time. Yeah. I just feel so grateful. Well, I'm happy that you have been able to find support here. Um, my my prayers and wishes, as well as everybody else here at This Is Nashville, is with you and your family. Um, that is Diana yeah. Nalivaiko. She's a Ukrainian student at Vanderbilt. She was joined by Catherine Rickmeyer of the Nashville scene. Thank you both so much. When we come back from our short break, we're taking a look at the artistic legacy of North Nashville and learning more about the movement to bring the vibe back and keep the memories alive. We'll pick up that discussion in a moment. This is Nashville. Colonna. This is Nashville. In its heyday, North Nashville was something of a cultural oasis, a mecca for black communities, according to the folks who lived there or wined and dined there. The cities were full of activity. There was live music nearly every night. The nightclubs drew the likes of Etta James and Jimi Hendrix. Then, beginning in the late 60s, 
the city started ripping right through this vibrant community with an interstate. I-40 displaced North Nashville as we knew it, bringing noise and pollution in its place. On today's show, we're going to talk about what is being done today to bring North Nashville back, so to speak. It's a time of constant change for our city. North Nashville is no exception. My first guest is Jordan Harris, owner of Akebulan Images. Jordan, welcome to This is Nashville. Greetings, and thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being with us. Now, your father, Yusef Harris, started the store you operate now, and I just want to say on behalf of everyone here at This is Nashville, very sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's been um, definitely been a new phase um, having taken over the business from my father, but it's, def- it's also been very encouraging, the, the outpouring and the, the reflections that I've received from, from countless people still. It's been a couple months, but it's every day still people coming in and sharing positive stories. It's been, it's been encouraging for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, t- tell me a little bit about Akebulon. It's a bookstore, but it's also a lot more than just that, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so my father opened the store um, in, in 1986, and and very in the early days it was he was selling a lot of art, and um, and I guess the the real impetus behind his business was that he was a, a psychologist by training, um, and he really believed that there weren't enough positive black images for black people to to feel proud and to um, to really believe that you know they are worth um whatever they want to believe they're 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 worth you know Mm -hmm. and and so it evolved into um expanding into books um primarily and then over the years gathering more and more you know positive materials art um fashion and 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 now even to you know lifestyle products like skin and hair care products that that uh center you know a black customer center the black experience and um, really push to develop a sense of of self um, through our product product line. Now, North Nashville is like kind of at a crossroads, much like the rest of the city. How would you describe this current moment for the neighborhood? I think it's it's a very important moment, um, and I think a lot of people kind of have gotten used to this concept of gentrification in waves across America. But at, at this point in Nashville, I think we have the opportunity to, um, to do something different, to do something unique, to really reflect the history of the neighborhood as it grows. There's, you know, there's an opportunity to, um, to bring the neighborhood up along with the rest of the city by highlighting the history of the neighborhood and, 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 and adding to you know, the culture of the new Nashville that's that's being built. I like that. So it's like different than development in the past. It's development while continuing to remember what was as we build toward the future. Am I right with that? Yeah, I believe, yes, I agree. Um, I agree with your explanation. I think, you know, a lot of times it's a, a lack of resources that just allows uh, an outside influence to to move in unchallenged. Um, but I think, you know, the, today's uh, resident and today's, you know, Black North Nashville has a little more access. We have, we have ability to to learn from other cities and to, 
lean on the the increased you know resources that Nashville as the it city has um, attracted to 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 create things that add to the new Nashville experience you know the, the um, that instead of just being the vanilla this is what we do everywhere in the country we build we knock everything old down and we build new you know bland structures you know I think Nash North Nashville has an ability like the rest of Nashville to um, create uh, new buildings and, and new environments that reflect the culture of, of old and what was here and start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And someone who else is bringing new environments to North Nashville is our next guest. Elisheba Israel Morozik is a tattoo artist and the owner of One Drop Inc. on Jefferson Street. Elisheba, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. It's absolutely a pleasure. So tell me, oh. how, how did you come about coming to Nashville? And tell me why you decided to start your tattoo business where you did. So I came to Nashville in 2007 after I graduated from Memphis College of Art. I'm originally from Memphis. And when I first started uh, tattooing, I had a really tough time getting my foot in the door in the industry because there's a lot of um, history of discrimination in how the tattoo industry works and uh, how you can get on board to become a professional. And in dealing with that, I had to end up opening my own shop in order for me to be able to start tattooing. And I looked for um, a place that was going to be around people I was comfortable with, that was affordable and inviting. And that's how I ended up on Jefferson Street. Through a referral of a friend, I found an awesome uh, lady named Mrs. Crutcher who uh, allowed me to move into her building that she owned on Jefferson. It was a little one room spot, but it was affordable and, you know, no credit check needed. You know, it mm-hmm. was somebody who saw what I was trying to do with my art and community and want to invest in me by allowing me to use her space to start my business. And from there, we've been now open for 10 years. And I found out that we're the first black tattoo shop in Middle Tennessee. And I'm the first black licensed tattoo artist in Middle Tennessee. So it was a stepping stone in growth in a neighborhood who's known for creativity and growth. That's wonderful. Now, Evan Brown owns Inca Gallery on Buchanan Street. We asked him how he would like our show to cover North Nashville. Here's what he told us. I would just like coverage about the black arts, about Buchanan, about not just the gentrification of it, but the the amazing parts that are happening to it, right? And the people who live there and the stories that, you know, that are from that community, right? There are several of those buildings that are owned by and that have always been owned by black people. And so I would love for that community to be shed a light on. Shedding a light, that's what we're doing today. Alicia, I'll start with you. What's your reaction to what Evan's saying right there? Well, I agree with him completely because the media, when they do cover our area, they tend to come over here to cover a crime or something bad happening in a way that it seems like that's all that happens over here. And nobody comes to cover 
when it is a positive thing that's happening. It always has to be something tragic. And there is so much joy and invention here and creativity flowing throughout this neighborhood. We've been lucky to help start the Jefferson Street Art Crawl, which is right now on hiatus, but we plan on bringing back some more activities like that. But that really connected the outside city to all the art and creativity happening on Jefferson Street from artists who never had a chance in these galleries downtown in the other art crawls pre-2020. This is Nashville. I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're taking a look at the historic neighborhood of North, North Nashville and talking with some entrepreneurs who are working to bring the community into the future while maintaining its legacy. So Alicia, but let me ask you, as someone who is trying not only to stay in business and succeed, but also lift up the community, how are you feeling about that work? That work is, it's difficult because when you, you know, have been in an area as long as my shop has for 11 years this year, you see the change happening and you wonder how you can catch up to it. Mm. Um, like right now, the prices are over a million dollars for anything on Jefferson Street. And we're renting, you know, we're, we're hoping that our connection with our landlord and the fact that it's a family building will outlast us being able to uh, stay there and continue to rent from them uh, until we could try to afford a property. But the prices are just so expensive. We aren't sure about that. And it's also just difficult when you feel like you have no resources. The rest of the city has been invested in so much to grow and North Nashville has kind of been left to stagnate and get cheaper in price so that outside investors could come in and swoop it up. Now, Jordan, before his passing, you and your father bought some property in North Nashville. Is that right? Yes. Uh, so when I moved back home um, in 2019, you know, I realized the business was was pretty strong and, and we had opportunity to try and grow it. I started looking for uh, an office and warehouse space to rent. And for the price of the rental, it seemed like the ability to, to pay a mortgage would be not much more. And so I, I looked and I, I happened across um, a building that was formerly LP print shop screen on, on on Buchanan Street and um, we were fortunate to take advantage of some you know um, some financing available and, and, and get the building also together with the the previous um, owner you know helping us out by providing some seller financing so we didn't have to go through the bank and we've got this building and, and I'm, I'm really excited about trying to make sure what happens in that space is uh, something that you know promotes what what North Nashville has been, and and for me, a big um, goal is to make North Nashville a place that you know African Americans choose to live in, instead of what has historically been more of a place that was left to us, mm. and making that transition from a place that you know, you're being pushed to to a place that you choose, I think can make a can make all the difference in how the neighborhood develops. It makes a difference in how individuals feel. If you're forced to do something, you may not be accepting to it, but if you choose to and you're welcome there, that just changes the entire psychology of it. Now, it seems that there's a lot of interesting connections between some of the businesses out north. Evan Brown, who we heard from earlier, and his brother, 
is also one of the owners at Slim and Huskies. So tell me, what's the vibe like when it comes to collaboration between businesses? Elisheba, I want to start with you. What is the vibe like with the businesses in North Nashville? Well, I love it because North Nashville really gets together and does collaborations often. And that's been my experience. I recently did a collaboration with Inca Gallery uh, and Slim and Huskies and Creative Girls Rock and did a sip and paint for the community to raise money for the nonprofit. Um, we have collaborated on murals. We've collaborated on events when we did the Jefferson Street Art Crawl, woodcuts with Nathaniel Harris, uh, the Garden Brunch, which unfortunately is no longer there, which was an amazing restaurant, as well as other venues up for sin, all collaborated together with uh, myself and other local artists to put on the Jefferson Street Art Crawl, which drew thousands of people every month for three years. Mm -hmm. And we um, celebrated our fifth year in the pandemic, um, really kind of shut down what we were doing. And, it, but the collaboration spirit is still there and there's a lot of things to come in the future. Jordan, same question to you. Uh, yeah, so, so, you know, my father um, set up shops and I was, like I said, he was selling art and, and, uh, he and Nate Harris, who owns Woodcuts, you know, were working together with the framing of the art, and and so there was there was always even back then a spirit of working together in business, and uh, and that's definitely something that I'm I'm trying to to keep keep doing to to work together. I and mean, we've got a a book club going on um, this that's beginning this month with Yeyes, which just opened on Jefferson Street, the cafe. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's definitely falls into my goal of, of making people decide that, you know, North Nashville is a place to go. By, by working together, we can have more events that make people want to be here. And the more often they're here, the more often they'll think, why don't I stay here? Or, you know, why don't I locate myself here? There's things that cater to me and, and center me. So, so let me be you know, have, have greater proximity to that area. Mm -hmm. Now, to have entrepreneurs like yourselves invest in the community is one thing, but it also requires action from our city leaders. So I want to ask you both, what actions do you want to see from Metro government? Elisheba. I really want to see Metro really stop this backing away from supporting the arts and to really get equitable on what kind of funds and, and initiatives they're giving to people who already own property instead of the people who are coming in to buy property. Um, I'm sure there must be some options and tools out there and make sure they're actually getting to the people that they need to be getting to. You can't say that you're gonna offer an opportunity and then give some really difficult way to access it um, or however uh, way you do to block what's going on. But investing in the people who are here, who own these properties already, who, who want to be here and who've been here for decades is initial. Jordan. Yes. Um, yeah, so for me, I think, uh, I think as we see the, the property values rise, both commercially and residentially, you know, the younger generations are going are, are, are seem to be moving further and further out if they don't have family that's already in the neighborhood. And what I see that happening, especially in light of these high gas prices, is that the, the availability of people who live and work, who live near where they work, 
you know, it's, it's going to decrease. I've got one final question for you. Alicia, we'll give the last question to you. You've got about a minute. What do you want North Nashville to look like in 10 years? In 10 years, I want North Nashville to truly be this artistic capital that it has been for so long for uh, African-Americans, for people of color, and just for genuine people who believe in growth and change and, and investing in a community wholeheartedly and seeing what blooms of that. And I know that's possible because we have people here who really do care. And with proper investment from everybody, we can make things happen that you've only dreamed of. Mm-hmm. That is Elisheba Israel Morizek, owner of One Drop Inc. Elisheba, thank you for being on the show. Jordan Harris is going to stick around with us after we come back from the break. But that question is not just for Elisheba. I want you all listening to at us at This Is Nashville and answer, what do you want North Nashville to look like in 10 years? We look forward to seeing what you have to say and we'll address it. We've been talking about the work being done to revitalize North Nashville's vibrant art scene, but we can't look ahead without looking back, right? After the break, we'll go way back to a legendary nightclub of North Nashville's past. Stick around. This is Nashville. Welcome back. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Before the break, we were hearing from a few folks who are investing in the future of North Nashville and working to keep the vibrant art scene alive. Now, let's take a look back. A few times a month, we're going to take you out into the city with us. Yeah, to show you an ordinary street corner, a vacant grocery store, a brand new CVS, Now, I know what you're thinking. That does not sound very exciting, Khalil. No, our goal is to take you back in time, to bring our history to life, and to show you what our city has been. Today, we're dropping a pin on a busy stretch of Charlotte Avenue between 11th and 12th. And okay, to be honest, it it doesn't look like much right now. To give you an idea of why we sent This Is Nashville producer Steve Harouche to a parking lot, let's first travel back in time, all the way back to the fall of 1963, as the inimitable Etta James, just 25 years old, takes the stage at the legendary venue known as the New Era Club. Etta James Rocks the House is probably the most enduring musical artifact of the New Era Club. It was recorded live over two September nights that year in 1963, and the atmosphere is absolutely electric. It feels like you're right there with James in a sparkling white dress wailing away on the small wooden stage. That didn't keep the city from demolishing the New Era Club to make way for I-40 less than a decade later. The club did relocate to 12th and Charlotte, where it was later renamed the Modern Era. That's where I'm standing now. It's a very busy area, and the New Era was like the center of that. That's Nashville native Ron Wynn. And that's one of the reasons why Chess decided to record Eddie James there in 63, was because the New Era had such a national reputation. Ron always knew about the New Era Club, but it wasn't until about 20 years ago that he really dug into its legacy. Uh, one of the things that gets people 
who weren't around in that time don't really understand is that Nashville was a hub for black music activity. The new era first opened in 1939, and this whole area became a regular stop for touring acts, which isn't to mention the local talent gigging nearly every night. As the traffic zips past us, Ron and I look around for any indication that the New Era Club was ever here. There's nothing. There are some sprinkler outlets. There's a little drain pipe. There's what looks like to be sort of a utility door. Um, and there's really just the side of a building. Uh, there's no marker here. And down where the, uh, the previous location was uh, is a parking lot that abuts the highway. This is kind of typical of many cities in terms of the neglect of the history that's in their backyard. They kind of just take it for granted. But not everyone takes that history for granted. My name is Lorenzo Washington, founder of the Jefferson Street Sound Museum. Lorenzo was a regular at the New Era back in its heyday. The New Era Club was packed every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. It was so much fun being in that building. There were beer taverns and boarding houses nearby, and a popular restaurant known for serving up heaping plates of food. Actually, that place was owned by guitarist Johnny Jones, who helped Jimi Hendrix refine his technique. This was the mecca of, of our black community. Uh, Charlotte, uh, uh, Buckhannon, uh, Jefferson Street, you know. Uh, uh, we as black folk over here at that time was pretty much self-contained because we couldn't go to the white hotels and the white establishments. And at the heart of the Mecca was the New Era Club. It wasn't a big room. Lorenzo says it held about 150 people. But it was so much excitement in that club and so many great artists and musicians. Of course, uh, Etta James played in that club. Speaking of Etta James Rocks the House. Well, I wasn't there that night, but uh, one of my good friends, uh, James Watson, he played bass uh, on that album. And he didn't know that they were actually making an album, from what he tells me. He just thought he was there jamming with Etta James. And he said, now, uh, this is what he said, they didn't get paid for it either <laughs> because they didn't sign contracts uh, saying that they were recording an album. I've not been able to confirm this story with James Watson, who is still alive. But it wouldn't be the first time a musician didn't get paid for their work. One regular performer at the New Era was Jackie Shane. She was a singer with a powerful voice and commanding stage presence. She was also openly trans in the Jim Crow South. Tell her that I'm happy. And she was afraid to death that she was going to be uh, hurt or killed here in Nashville. And she would open up for Jimi Hendrix. And she has told me a number of times that uh, Jimi loved her playing because uh, Jackie played the drums and she could play drums standing up and sing at the same time. Today, Jackie Shane is gone, and there's nothing left of the New Era Club. 
well, almost nothing. When they were tearing that building down, I saw the bulldozers uh, knocking it down, and I uh, drove up and uh, went in there and asked the guy, could I take some bricks, a piece of the mirror, piece of the floor, uh, just to have it. I've got the pieces right over here in the case. Oh, those are the pieces? Those are the pieces. All right. Those um, are the bricks from the actual New Era Club. It's just one of the many memories that Lorenzo was working to keep alive. Etta James, taking us all the way back to 1963. Make a note to myself to pick that album up on vinyl. And our next guest can take us even further back than 1963. Lucius Spoonman Tally. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Now, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you, sir. Now, should I call you Lucius or Spoonman? Either. Whatever suits you. Okay. You can, you can call me anything. I'm, nothing insults me, you know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, I understand you actually performed at the New Era Club. Is that right? No, that's wrong. I, uh... I was performing on Jefferson Street. I only performed one time at the New Era Club. Tell me about that night, that one time that you performed. That one there. night was a special night that they let the band off. And okay. one of the main musicians that I worked with and was D. Ford Bailey, and he had a band. So D. Ford... Carl Malone, a guitar player, myself, and, uh, oh, I forgot the keyboards player name, uh, organ player, and uh, Tom Malone was guitar, I was on drums, D. Ford Bailey was on bass, and we had a tap dancer, and he also could play spoons, tap dance, sing, and drums, named Eddie Taylor. We call him Taps, mm -hmm. and he left, and he was starring with uh, Jackie Shane up in Canada. They did a lot in Canada. Okay, okay. Describe the atmosphere in the club at those days for me. I mean, what was it really like? Well, it was the place to be for me because really... I didn't have any business being in there at my age. I started going in there at the age of 15. Oh, wow. With uh, Lil Richard. Lil Richard was staying at the Delma Hotel upstairs over a pool room. Mm -hmm. And I was playing hooky from school, hanging out in the pool room. And everything during my time was about gambling. And all these guys that hung in the pool room on Jefferson. They had pretty Cadillacs, Oldsmobiles, and, and to see them, and they didn't have no job. Wonder how they got that money, how they got that car. So I started hanging out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really got, to, got in trouble at the age of 17, couldn't class so much, and... Uh, my final exams was coming up for high school, and I played hooky, didn't take the final exams. So when I come home, 
my mother and father was waiting on me. They said, you ain't been to school in a month. So my mother had a brother that was a big-time bookie gambler, and she put him on me, and he come back with the porch, and he's hanging out with people older than him, band, different that. They wouldn't let me play drums in school. I was so small. I didn't weigh, I think in the 12th grade, I was weighing about 101, 102. Okay. So uh, when I came home that day from school, this white gentleman was in my living room with a uniform on, and my mother and father signed me in the Air Force. Hmm. And I went in the Air Force and stayed four years. So when I got out of the Air Force, I had learned a good lesson of life everything that I need to do and straighten my life out. So I went over to the high school to get my high school diploma, and the principal said, you don't want to be over here with these younger kids. Said all the experience you got and everything. Said we got a school, uh, Watkins Institute on Church Street. And they said, with your transcript, you passed everything because I was a student all the way through school, played the band, played all the woodwind instruments. So he said, you don't need nothing but history and English. So I took history and English at Watkins Institute and got my diploma. At the same time, I had fully developed into a musician after in the Air Force and started playing drums with D. Ford Bailey Don Q. Pullen and Louis Brooks. Okay. They oh. were some of the top names older than me that was to stand out on Jefferson Street and around Nashville, the Elks Club. Louis Brooks Band, Earl Gaines, and uh, that crowd, and the Stillaway. When I was first met Lou Richard, he was playing at the Club Revelock which was 14th in Jefferson, and later on it changed to the Stillaway Club. But when Little Richard had it, I used to take his uniforms to Jefferson Street Cleaners, which was right across the street, and he seen the interest. Little Richard seen the interest that I was a drummer. He would slip me in the club, said, don't go no further than that stage, and shut your mouth, sit right there, <laughs> and okay. watch that drummer. And I did that, and he eased me in and eased me out, and we stayed friends for life, you know. And uh, every time I get ready to open my mouth, little Richard would say, shut your mouth. And I would shut my mouth and learn. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. You know, I can't front. I cannot front at all. I'm really jealous of hearing these stories. Jordan Harris from Akebulon Images is still on the line. Jordan, did you get to hear stories like this when you were growing up? I mean, the stories, the stories that I had were, were more about, uh, like, you know, we had special events going on at the bookstore, and my father would bring uh, people to town on, a, on the academic side. Um, we, had, we had Rosa Parks come to the store and do a book signing, and had people a hundred people out the door down 28th Avenue, um, trying to come in and, and get a sign in. I guess our yeah my our years were shortly after the heyday of the clubs on on Jefferson Street with the bookstore, um, but the Nashville has always still been, you know, a, a music place. So you know a lot of 
artists have been by the bookstore over the years, like the Nappy Roots and um, Dead Prez and and different different people like that in the in the post kind of blues era. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I, I definitely have been down to Jefferson Street Sound Museum and and seen you know how 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 cool everything was and it just really makes you feel like it's not out of reach to to bring those days back. Is Jordan? Is there anything you'd like to ask Lucius? Yeah, I, so I always wonder, you know, what inside those clubs like? Is it are people coming in and having dinner and and, and sitting down and eating, and the music's on, or is it is it a dance floor? Like, what's the the procession in time from you know eight o'clock through the evening as people come by? Well, dinner, you would have dinner at the best place on Jefferson, which was uh, Brown's Dinner Club. And uh, they had all the well-educated doctors from Fish Meharry, that area right there, Fish Meharry, Tennessee State. And it was learning for the kids of my time. We learned how to act by watching them. We learned how to do math, geometry, and trigonometry from the ones like you come on down from the dinner club, we had the University Inn, which would would face uh, Jubilee Hall in the back at Fisk. And uh, you come on down, You it wasn't no time that you didn't see student doctors, student dentists, student where uh, the kids today don't have help. We had, in my time, was segregation, and they wanted every black kid out there to succeed. And all you had to do was make the right choices. You could make the right choices or the wrong choices. All at the same time, we had gambling going all up and down there because you had Clarksville, Tennessee, with all of those soldiers. And nothing in Clarksville was dry. And every weekend, the soldiers come to Jefferson Street for fun, for party, for whatever sin or whatever, they came to Jefferson Street. And it was a lot of people that hung out on Jefferson Street that never worked a job in their life. They took care of what the soldiers wanted and took care with crooked dice, beating the soldiers. And it got so bad that the military police rode with the city police in Nashville on the weekends to make sure... The soldiers that got beat or tricked or uh, uh, prostitution or, you know, whatever. But all of this went on. Everything went on on Jefferson. Nice. It was according what type of music you like. If you love jazz, you're going to went to a jazz set with the best musicians there. And you, you knew how to act. And you come on down if you want to rock and roll, you're going to be where a rock and roll band playing nothing but good time music. This and is... if you like low down blues, you're going to go to another place where you're going to hear people having Thank a hard time. The woman like. I'm sorry, Mr. Spoonman. We have to interrupt. We only have an hour and we got to end the show. I can sit and listen to you all day, as I'm sure everybody else could. Many thanks to Lucius Spoonman Tally, and he was joined by Jordan Harris. Both of you, thank you so much for this fantastic show. We want to give a special thanks to everybody who tuned in. 
This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, we're talking banned books and visiting with a banned book club in Franklin. You don't want to miss it. You won't want to miss it. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our music are Larange and Namir Blade. Conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram to tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. It's Nashville, everybody. Welcome. See you tomorrow.